This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, November 5th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, preparing your kiddo for the COVID vaccine, a sports update with Vinton Cole, strong start plans for 2022, and a mountain weather forecast. An exciting but potentially stressful time is upon parents across the country. Earlier this week, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention approved the Pfizer COVID vaccine for children age 5 to 11 years old. While getting the jab yourself may seem like a no-brainer, inoculating your 5-year-old with a new vaccine may be scarier. On Wednesday, Grace Franklin, San Miguel County Public Health Director, and Dr. Sharon Grundy, County Medical Officer and a physician at the Telluride Regional Medical Center, hosted a community forum to provide information and answer questions from parents. Dr. Grundy notes it is an individual or family decision whether or not to vaccinate your child. But she notes the flu vaccine is common, and on a yearly basis, COVID kills more children than the flu does. And with this Delta variant, your child will get it eventually. The risk of the vaccine, I think, is less. In addition, she says we need to think on a community and global level. I might do okay, my kid might do okay, but the 80-year-old, the three 80-year-olds that I saw today in clinic could die from this. So 50% of my judgment call for myself and for my child was to protect my community and to do the right thing. Franklin adds an unvaccinated younger population is a large part of why the virus continues to spread. Right now, the other key piece is how do we um, get to a level of protection across the the world before um, it could potentially mutate to become more severe in children or have more um, severe outcomes for those that are vaccinated and Really, it's, how, it's that big picture of how do we get as many people protected um, from all different modes, um, but um, as safely as possible. And according to Grundy, it's impacting the medical system. Right now, Montrose Hospital for the last three weeks has not had a bed. They flew two people out of state recently. Um, St. Mary's Hospital is starting to go on divert. So we're in a, we're in a pickle right now. And what that means is like beds get filled for other reasons. So we're about to head into ski season and I go from the ski mountain and there's not a bed and I get flown to Kansas. That's a pain in the butt. Like, and it's not just about a pain in the butt, like that's not good medical care. So there's a really big picture here that is a puzzle of the individual, what's the right thing to do, our community, our world. And, and we, we need to kind of be looking at with all those different lenses and trying to zoom in and zoom out of what's the right choice. When it comes to the vaccine itself, Dr. Grundy says it has a 90% effective rate of preventing symptomatic disease and a 100% effective rate in preventing serious disease. Side effects of the vaccine are similar to those for adults, redness or discomfort at the site of injection, fatigue, headache, fever, and nausea. However, Dr. Grundy says side effects haven't appeared as serious for younger children less than those 12 to 17, and even less than those in the 25 age range. With that said, there are some potential complications with the messenger RNA vaccines, which includes Pfizer, mostly myocarditis and pericarditis. We want to be very transparent that we're, that this is being looked at. It has not stopped any of these vaccines from being distributed. The CDC has studied 
reports of inflammation from the heart muscle and surrounding tissues called myocarditis and pericarditis after COVID-19 vaccinations among male adolescents and young adults. So extremely rare and very few people will experience it after a vac vaccination. In the very rare case it does occur, most cases are mild and people often recover on their own with um, minimal treatment. For timing of the vaccine, Franklin says, based on current knowledge, children can wait up to 90 days after testing positive for COVID before getting the vaccine. But she notes they don't have to wait and can safely get the vaccine the day after they complete their isolation. Children can also safely get the flu and COVID vaccine at the same time. After weighing the pros and cons of vaccinating your child and deciding to go for it, Grundy says there are a number of ways to make the shot itself go more smoothly. She says, first, talk to your child about what to expect. Don't give them pain relievers before the shot and let the nurse or doctor know about any allergies. If they're afraid of needles, Grundy says her too. Uh, let the healthcare team know that your child is nervous about needles. Needle anxiety is common. And many providers are um, practiced in ways to calm and distract people so they have more positive experience. You can bring a soothing stuffed animal or a book, play a game, or watch an engaging video together, you know, sing a song, or blow bubbles to encourage deep breathing. Grundy notes public health is also working to make the clinics themselves more kid-friendly. So we're going to try to make it look a little less clinical and try to kind of make it more engaging for the kids. Public Health will be hosting a 5- to 11-year-old specific vaccine clinic in Telluride on Tuesday, November 16th at the Intermediate School Gym and on Thursday, November 18th in Norwood at the Lone Cone Library. The Colorado Public Health Department will also be in the region next week to provide vaccines for anyone eligible, 5 and up. CDPHE will be in the Carhenge parking lot on Tuesday and Wednesday next week and at the Pig Palace in Norwood on Wednesday. Registration is available at sanmiguelcountyco.gov slash coronavirus. Walk-ups are also allowed. Both opportunities will have flu vaccines available for a double dose of vaccine fun. You can't touch this. The season of sports is moving along. This week in a sports update, Telluride High School's Finton Cole brings the latest. I told you, homeboy, you can't touch this. This is Finton Cole on your sports update. Boys varsity soccer beat the Loveland Lions by a score of four to nothing, but lost to the Crested Butte Titans one to nothing. They finished second in the state overall and ten and seven in their record. Girls Varsity Soccer will be playing this spring. Ramon Rodriguez says his team is getting better and better overall and will someday win the state and or national championships. Girls Varsity Volleyball has a road playoff game against the Denver Christian Thunder and the Byers Bulldogs. They are fourth in the San Juan Basin League going into the tournament. Boys Varsity Basketball is looking forward to playing varsity games this season against other schools. Brandon Bredlow, the head coach of the team, says he's excited that the season is about to start and he's looking forward to seeing his players hit some threes or slam dunks. Girls varsity basketball is the same, as Matthew Gonzalez, the head coach of the team, is already prepping for the ladies to come onto the court and kick some butt. That was the sports news for the week. I'm Fintan Cole reporting live from Territe High School and we'll see you next week.
As budget season marches on, StrongStart is looking to up its 2022 spending by about $45,000, or roughly 7%. The publicly funded program supporting early childhood education in San Miguel County has multiple funding priorities. One is capacity building. Which is sustaining or increasing um, child care slots in San Miguel County. That's Kathleen Merritt speaking about the budget at a Board of County Commissioners meeting this week. She's the executive director of Bright Futures, which runs Strong Start. Strong Start plans to spend a little less than $40,000 more next year compared to this year on capacity building because Merritt says they anticipate more need. A handful of our centers have not been able to get back to full operating since COVID, and that is directly related to just not having enough um, workforce to meet their child-to-staff ratios. For administration and evaluation, Strong Start also plans to spend more, about $100,000 compared to roughly $80,000 in the past. And that is just a number that was kind of a best guess that we determined back in 2017. And now that we have um, been running the program for a few years and have realized kind of the true cost of care We were running this through a VISTA. Now we have a great full-time year-round coordinator, and um, that is our third-party evaluator as well. County Commissioner Hillary Cooper notes the evaluation and admin expenses are jumping to about 15% of the budget. When it comes to that third-party evaluator, she wonders if it's a necessary expense every year. If you have the same programs over and over, is it really necessary to do that, or could that be done every other year? Merritt notes the annual evaluation is part of their Memorandum of Understanding with San Miguel County, and they could look into doing it every other year. But for now, should like to continue with it annually. Things are really new, and there's just lots of moving parts and pieces with early childhood, and COVID has made it even more complicated. I I would appreciate doing it every year, at least for a couple of more years. Strong Start also plans to up financial aid funding from roughly $160,000 to $170,000, but they also plan to spend less on another of their priorities, quality improvement. We really feel like these grant requests from centers that they're really going to be asking for um, funding to support capacity of their center more than um, quality improvement. Merritt adds the state plans to make a roughly $500 million investment in early childhood education over the next two years. Bright Futures, she says, plans to maximize their local spending based on that upcoming funding. The commissioners plan for final consideration and approval of the Strong Start budget, along with the rest of the county budget, in the coming weeks. A number of homes and businesses on the Telluride water system will be without water next Monday. According to the town of Telluride, Public Works has scheduled a water outage in order to complete water system improvements and maintenance. The water outage will impact all areas on the water system west of the Shell gas station and Brown Homestead, including both of those locations. That includes housing developments along the Spur and Lawson Hill. The water outage will take place Monday, November 8th from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. As world leaders gather to discuss climate change and the state of our environment, in Telluride, local residents, nonprofits, and businesses have the opportunity to reduce their own carbon footprint through the Town of Telluride's Green Grants Program. 
The program is administered through EcoAction Partners. The funding comes from funds that are collected from new construction when snowmelt systems or outdoor heated pools and spas get put in. If the owner or um, contractor does not mitigate that energy use by installing renewable energy such as solar panels on site, then the project is required to pay a fee to the town of Telluride so that the town, town can mitigate that energy use for that project. That's Kim Wheels, the energy specialist for EcoAction. This year, grants are available for anywhere from $500 to $35,000. According to EcoAction Partners, project ideas could include net zero building construction, insulation and weatherization, replacement of old boilers and furnaces, waste reduction projects, or water efficiency or conservation projects. We had two composting projects win last year. One was an existing business that wanted to increase its capacity to serve people in the community that wanted to compost, um, as well as then a compost program for the town of Telluride Spruce House. Previous projects have also included funding for weatherization projects for the San Miguel Resource Center and Coda Radio. We've had quite a few energy efficiency projects over the years, such as weatherization, replacement of doors, replacements of old furnaces, replacement of windows um, for anything from individual homes to businesses, um, as well as um, condo unit buildings. Really, Wheel says the world is your oyster. You know, I'd say it's those capital projects and improvements that are more expensive than they could fund on their own, and that without assistance and support through, through additional funding, they wouldn't be able to do. Um, things that are like windows that are um, super old and leaky, that there are no rebates for, that are pretty expensive um, to replace. Um, boilers or furnaces that are outdated from the 80s or before <laughs> um, that are no longer operating at good efficiency levels. Wheels adds undertaking these maybe bigger projects can help your energy bill go down by being more efficient or helping reduce personal waste. But she says it's also part of a bigger regional picture. The town of Telluride is updating their climate action plan. The region has just updated our regional climate action plan. And within the objectives and goals of those action plans are reducing our greenhouse gas emissions. The high priority within those for actions that people can take is switching from fossil fuels to electricity. Um, as well as increasing renewable energy in our mixture. So all of these things not only help the individual, but they help our region and our community to achieve our goals. To apply for the Green Grants program, go to ecoactionpartners.org. Applications are due by December 17, 2021. The ski slopes are getting ready for winter, but the Telluride Mountain Club still has hiking on the brain. The Mountain Club is looking for feedback from the community on its Telluride Regional Trail Survey. The aim of the survey is to understand what the public wants in future trails planning and projects. The Mountain Club plans to use the results from the survey to guide future projects and create a community vision for trails in the region. The survey is 33 questions, and according to the Mountain Club, should only take 10 to 15 minutes to complete. 
The survey will be available through the end of the year. Individuals can fill it out at surveymonkey.com slash r slash tmtc trails. Colorado's recently concluded congressional redistricting process is starting to shake up the upcoming campaigns for the U.S. House. Democrat Carrie Donovan of Vell announced on Friday that she is ending her campaign, challenging Republican Lauren Boebert in the 3rd Congressional District. Donovan raised more than a million dollars, but does not live in the district under the new map. But fellow Democrat Debbie Burnett, a physical therapist from Jackson County, says she's continuing her campaign, despite also being drawn out of Boebert's district. In the newly created 8th district, stretching from North Denver to Greeley, Weld County Commissioner and former Republican state lawmaker Lori Sane has filed to run. Meanwhile, state lawmakers are still waiting for the Colorado Supreme Court to rule on separate maps of legislative districts. The court has until November 15th to decide. After another long, dry summer across the West, many are hoping for a wet winter. With reservoirs in the region at record low levels, a lot is riding on what the next few months will bring. But as KUNC's Alex Hager reports, even a snowy winter won't be enough to ease more than two decades of drought. If you've been coming to the same place for a long time, it's easy to notice when things change. On this ranch near Steamboat Springs, Colorado, the telltale signs of drought are everywhere, like in this dusty creek bed. Typically, you'd see at least a little water in this throughout the summer. And as I said, it's, it's just been dry all summer long. Todd Hagenboo's family has been ranching this land for 75 years. And this creek, it feeds into the larger Yamper River. It's quite a shocker because, you know, I'm in my mid-40s and I remember coming up here as a little kid and moving some rocks around, playing in the water. My kids uh, this year did not get that opportunity and, and that's kind of a sad state of affairs. And on a working ranch, it's more than just sad. It cuts into the bottom line. Ranchers in the headwaters of the Yampa can't grow and make enough hay and need to buy tons of it to make it through the winter. But as we ride across his property, Hagen Boo says that's usually not the end of the world. If we can get a couple good years, you know, with some of the bad years, you can overcome some of that. But we're due for a good year. Which begs the question, will there be enough snow this winter to help erase some of the drought impacting the Yampa and the Colorado River Basin? In short, probably not. You never know exactly what you're going to get with a La Nina. It's certainly not a perfect relationship. That's Becky Bollinger. She's the Colorado Assistant State Climatologist. And La Nina is when a surge of cold water in the Pacific Ocean changes weather patterns over the western U.S. In general, it leans towards the northern mountains would be more likely to have a, a better winter season. And the southern mountains, the San Juan Mountains, the Sangro de Cristos would, might not be able to get as much. And while she describes the La Nina weather pattern as a bit of a crapshoot, right now it's leaning towards most of Colorado being warmer and drier than the historical average. While we do depend on the monsoon season, especially to help uh, fill up those soils before we enter the cold season, 
um, we, we really need that snowpack to, to kind of really dig out the way that Arizona did with their monsoon. She's alluding to this year's historically wet summer in Arizona. It's another important part of the Colorado River conversation since the state has millions of people using its water. And when I spoke with Arizona state climatologist Erin Ann Saffel, that wet summer was still in full force. A cell just opened up over my house. It's raining cats and dogs out there, and I'm wanting to go look outside the window. But La Nina conditions mean storms like these are not likely to last. And even a great rainy winter in the desert wouldn't turn things around that much. Arizona has been in these drought conditions since the mid-90s. And to fully come out of those drought conditions, we would need to have a few seasons of above average precipitation. And wet seasons in Arizona are literally a drop in the bucket. The majority of water in the Colorado River, the water that feeds farms and taps all the way down to Mexico, it starts as rain and snow high in the mountains of Wyoming and Colorado. And in the long term, Becky Bollinger says climate change will bring shorter winters, warmer temperatures, and drier soil. We know that we are going to have an increasing frequency of droughts And we have seen that in these past 20 years. And that is something that's going to continue. And back in Steamboat Springs, that dry creek bed on Todd Hagenboo's property will not be the last one to lose its water. He sees it as a sign of things to come in other parts of the West. Where this would normally be contributing just a little bit, which contributes to the river, which contributes then to the Colorado River and to the overall basin. It's just another signal that things are dry and we shouldn't expect as much water in the river when places like this have dried up. Turning things around in the Colorado River Basin and bringing more water to the people who depend on it, that's going to take years of above average rain and snow where it matters most. I'm Alex Hager. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly clear skies tonight with a low in the mid-30s. Saturday should be sunny during the day and clear at night with a high near 60 degrees and a low around 35. Sunday expect sunny skies with a high around 55 degrees. Sunday night should be partly cloudy with a low around 35. This has been the news for Friday, November 5th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.